I'm Kohar. And I'm Iman. And you're tuned into the last episode of Name It Season 1. Yes. And as you know, we're your encyclopedia of big ideas, changing how we think about the world and talk to each other. And today, our big idea is, drumroll please... as written about by Dr. Sarah Ahmed, but we will get into that. Yes. Today is a day for reflection, gratitude, and big love for this beautiful community that we've built together this season and this year. Because today we are doing things so differently. Yes. By recording the last episode of our season last and kind of talking about our process a little bit more. Yeah. So, like, of course, like, we recorded the last well, actually, we started our very first episode. First time we were in the studio was actually recording this episode. We had totally different segments, a different name for the podcast. And so now we're like redoing it. And you guys are actually getting this in relative real time because we are recording this like 24 hours before it is set to come out. So that's about as live as I think this Capricorn girl will ever let a seasoned episode get. <laughs> These Capricorn girls. Yes. Wow, that's become our identity these days, huh? Well, I like it. Proud. Proud like a goat. <laughs> Personality trait. So, Iman, I must say, you are looking quite refreshed and liberated this morning. Thank you very much. I cut my hair. I dyed my hair 12 hours after finishing my exams for the semester, which I feel Woo! like is only fitting that like last week's episode was on hair. I forgot that every time I like finish something big, I always like change my hair immediately after like every finals mm. period. I'm always like cutting it or doing something. So I am just feeling like, you know, this huge weight is off my shoulders. And now all I have to do is, I guess, like have a conversation to defend what I wrote. So though, for those of you who don't know, I just finished my qualifying exams and mine were written. So I had to write like 60 ish pages she did that y'all she did that she wrote groundbreaking scholarship oh, catch it in a book in Jeez. a couple of you know let's say years she's I don't know really hyping you. me she's really hyping as me, you deserve but, sis yeah. thank you free at last in the words of the great Nicki minaj to <laughs> That's going to be you. This That is going to be you in a couple weeks, Mama. You know what that was, though? Sorry for that jump scare. <laughs> yeah, no, that probably was a jump scare. <laughs> but truly, to freedom, we are here in the promised land. That will be me in a month, so catch me on the other side of the I know. Exams. We're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost at candidacy. We've got this. Woo! Yes. But speaking about exams and us finally getting to candidacy and everything that we've had to do and get done and will be getting done this semester, I feel like there is no better idea to close out this week and this season than complaint. But as always, before we get into our big idea and all of the coherisms to come, we're going to start with a case study. Yes. So our case study is the segment in the show where we introduce the big idea by talking about an instance where we see it playing out in our everyday lives, research, and current events. Yes. And as our case study today, we're turning to our everyday lives and talking about our own experiences being complainers in institutions. Heck yeah. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> but it is fun. It is. And 
that's the whole point of this. We are, you know, speaking truth to power and giving space to mm-hmm. the power of complaining. Mm-hmm. And as always, I think that leads to story time. A little story time. And, you know, I'll just bring it full circle too, right? Like to complain about something is also to like name it and to name what is wrong with it and whatnot. But we're going to get a lot into that. That was but, amazing. Yeah. So I've got a story time about me being a complainer at an institution and obviously like not mentioning, you know, where I was or who I was around and whatnot. But this was basically when I, yeah, when I was a part of a higher education institution. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. But basically, like most stories about weird things about to happen to you as a black woman in predominantly white spaces, it all started when I noticed somebody was paying me just a little too much attention. Mm. Just a little too much attention. Mm. You know that feeling? When you have eyes on you and you're not the one perceiving others. Yes. Almost like a target on your back. And often I find that when people are confused about you, like you represent something that is like outside of their box of what they thought you were supposed to be. So like, obviously, like I'm showing up in this like, you know, study of Islam space. Like I am like, I'm here, like, you know, representing my identities. And I could just tell that this person found me very perplexing Mm. and would pay me a lot of attention. I was also the only woman in the space of like all men and whatnot. And would ask me like very random questions. Like he'd be like, what is your opinion on X, Y, and Z thing? Or would like find me after whatever set events we were a part of, like would always make it a point to like walk out with me. Yikes. And it was very bizarre. So this, so that is the preface to, again, one of these days, we have a long day where we're in multiple events together. We wrap this session we're a part of. This man, I will refer to him as Jerry. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, what's the code name? The code name is going to be Jerry. Jerry. So Fuck Jerry. You. <laughs> Fuck you, Jerry. <laughs> exactly. So, but sometimes you don't want to be stare-worthy. You want to fly under the radar. But who you are, what you represent by virtue of being a black woman in a space, there is no flying under the radar. Anyways, so in Jerry. Jerry wants, it follows me out of post-meeting like he normally does. And he would ask me these very random questions. He would be like, what is your opinion on abortion? And Yikes. like, what is, like, again, real weirdo behavior. Very weird. So he asked me, he's like, hey, can I run a paper idea by you? And I'm like, okay, sure. And so basically the paper idea was he wanted to make an argument that racism is a feeling. Now, these are just the fools you might find yourself around. You know, it's just like, it's really crazy. It's like, how did you and I get into the same space? I don't know. I don't know what happened. How did this happen? He wanted to write a paper talking about how like racism is just like a feeling. Like, just because you feel like somebody is like keeping an extra eye on you at the store. Like, it doesn't mean that they're actually like surveilling you. You just feel that way. So, right, again, it's like we could have an entire episode breaking this down. But remember, we talked about this with like the erotic, how like people who want to diminish just how palpable and real all of these structures of power are, they will often dismiss it by saying like 
you're just being over emotional or like you're just concerned about feelings. And like that's why all of the DEI stuff around like diversity, equity and belonging, like we want you to feel better about being here as if it's about feelings. You know, that's something I have really noticed is like when you bring up moments of like anti-blackness and like at a structural level or like you want to talk about these things, people will like automatically think you're entering into the space of feelings, like you're talking about your feelings and you're not. Anyway, so Jerry wanted to make this argument. Back to Jerry. He wanted to make this argument that racism is just a feeling. And I literally was just standing in disbelief. Like, what? (laughs) I said he wanted me to agree with him. And I was like, no. I'm like, there's like decades and decades of research. Like, if we really want to just like get on it to an academic level, there are decades of research that will show you that that is wrong. Like, why are you... Centuries, even it's like centuries. It's not even we we. It's been proven, Jerry. Structural <laughs> racism exists. Like, please, it's just it, like you know when something is so dumb you don't even know where to start. <laughs> that was like I was truly, and then I'm sitting here like, damn, I'm trying to get. You know, we had like 30 minutes in between two meetings that day, and I was trying to get my own shit done. You know, and here I am, this man trying to tell me racism is a feeling. All this stuff. And the thing is, the thing is, mm-hmm. Audrey Lord might be like, and so what? Feelings are valid yes. sources of knowledge. Yes. And even it's clear that he was not he was not reading black feminist thought. No. He no. was not trying to do that. He's trying to diminish that racism yes. is a structural, yes. institutionalized system. Yes. Of interlocking oppression as named by black and intersectional feminists. I mean, there's so many there's so many angles with which to cut down that argument and just, you know, the foolery that it represents. So it gets much, much worse. It gets much worse than him being like, hey, black girl, what do you think about this idea that racism is just a feeling? And oh, and obviously Jerry is a white man. Like, I don't know if I've said this, but duh. Was it assumed? (laughs) Was it assumed? I hope so. Anyways, sorry for y'all. <laughs> sorry for the representative of yes, your yes. people. <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> the way you try save to... your kind, all of you. Just go ahead, save your kind. Okay, so I'm like, no, bro, racism is not a feeling, and he wants me to concede. And you know, there's also like such like a physical imbalance to like when this is happening because I'm like, I'm kidding you not. This man is probably like six five. A 6'5", wow. massive white man looking down at me, 5'2", like, and wants me to agree with him. And I said, no, obviously I don't agree with you. That is stupid. And he said, well, black people are racist to me all the time. And I said, what? Oh, I said, it's actually impossible for black people to be racist to you. He's like, that's not true. And I said, yes, it is. There's no, I mean, just the classic reverse racism is a myth. Maybe we can do an episode on that, but just go ahead. You can just, everybody can just take our word for that at the moment. No explanation we'll, needed. We'll give you the reading and research later. Yeah. But trust us. Just, just reverse racism is a myth. Like, I don't know, like the tooth fairy. <laughs> so <laughs> he says to me, people of color, black people are racist to me all the time. And I said, obviously, that can't happen. And then he goes, what if I call X, Y, and Z community here this slur? I won't even, like, obviously, I'm not going to repeat it. Or, and that I punched them in the face and called them a slur. I said, well, that would be a hate crime. 
And to be clear, he's the one that used the N-word. You let the cat out the bag. Oh, he, so, which no. slur was that? I won't say the slur. This was another slur. This was oh, not the slur directed gosh, at me. Jerry. Yeah, so Jerry Jerry's is like, another Jerry's slur? like, what if you call another brown community this slur and then you punch them in the face? And I said, that is obviously a hate crime. And then he goes, and what if I called you the N-word? Like, oh like, my even... gosh. And I was like, my mouth like just dropped open. I said, this man called me a nigga. <laughs> I said, oh my God, in broad daylight. This man really just called me a nigga. Anyways, and so then I literally just got up and I left. So that is the scenario as it unfolds. And the story only gets worse. Can you believe he was trying to convince me? And it's like, how violent is that? It's so good that we can like laugh about it now. Right. Because like- We've done this, this episode We've before. done this episode before. But then this is the real gag. I have to see Jerry 40 minutes later because we have a whole conference day happening that day. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm just gonna steer clear of this man. Cause at this point now you got me hot and bothered. I needed to work on, I needed to do the same exact work that you're doing, but like I just have to go through this racialized terror that you are inflicting my way as we're both just trying to, like we're both peers at this institution, trying to get done the same things, but you just waste my time with stupidity. Anyways. I get up, I walk away, I have to go see Jerry again. 40 minutes later, I'm talking, I'm literally like, I'm just gonna ignore this person. I'm talking to somebody else. He comes up to me and he is like, can I talk to you for a minute? Mind you, he interrupts me. He interrupts me in the middle of a conversation. And this is how you will get misogyny sprinkled on top of racism Ooh. for a, a nice little mixture of massage noir. <laughs> I was going to say massage noir. It's, it's, it's giving, do you feel it? Like the aroma is coming. The aroma is coming. So he comes up to me and he says, you know, what I've realized, this is his critical self-reflection in the past 40 minutes. What I have realized is that I'm willing to go to a place in these conversations that you are not. Oh and that is why you are upset. So basically what he said was, I am too sensitive. I am too sensitive to have a real intellectual debate about, I guess, the existence of racism, whatever intellectual conversation he thought that he was a part of. And see, and this is where they will get you, bro. They will paint you as the emotional one, incapable of having an intellectual conversation devoid of your own emotions. Absolutely. After they offend you. Right. After they verbally assault you and terrorize you, they will then be like, and you're just not well-adjusted. You just cannot handle this. I still can't get over the multiple slur part. I didn't remember yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. I didn't remember that detail. Like, he tried to go He tried general. to implicate me. He tried uh. to implicate me in what he felt was a great, like, a gotcha moment of, like, racism. And I was like, no. And then that's when he called me a nigga. And then we move on. Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. Okay, now, here is the last vignette or whatever of this story. So obviously I'm upset about this. I go home. You know Beth, my Welsh bestie. I love Beth. To we death. love you, Beth. Love Beth. I literally went to her and I came home and I was crying, obviously, because I was just like so. And, you know, this is the gag, right? So after he came up to me and basically told me I was like too stupid and too sensitive to like engage in this. I had to sit through an entire conference, like with him there in this space. Like here I am supposed to like show up as this intellectual, like and here at just like, I had to keep going throughout the day. There was no time or space to process this. So I finally get home and I'm like 
damn, what was today? I was really just like wrung through the mud today. And I get home and I'm crying and I, I have a time difference from where my parents are. So I call them. They're like, you need to issue a complaint. They're like, you need to like do something about this. You need to say something about this. And I was like, sure. I kid you not, I go to our boss and I am crying at this point. And I'm not even a big crier, but when I talk to power, mm. I cry. I don't know what it is. Like if I talk to a boss about something, like that'll just bring up tears. But if I ever fight with my mom, I also cry. So I think, you know, related. <laughs> <Just> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Authority. Authority. Like the, I hear that. Yeah. So anyways, and I kid you not, you know what she tells me? She goes, poor Jerry. I tell her everything that happened. Oh, she goes, gosh. poor Jerry. I just feel so bad because he doesn't know any better. I was, mind you, I am crying in this woman's office because I, it took so much for me to even, because mm. I was like, I'm just going to ignore, like, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. I'm just going to ignore this. But then I was like, no, I know this man is funded by this institution. I know blah, blah, blah. And there needs to be like a process, like a check, whatever there is. Turns out, you know, I was in a country where there is no such thing as Title IX. So that is the other thing. It's like, yeah, there actually was no institutional mechanism in place for me to actually level this complaint. So that is. Yeah. And then I basically got told, like, you know, poor white man. He just didn't know any better. So how convenient, very convenient. And then I got sent an email to somebody I could email. And I was like, oh, no, this is bullshit. I'm just done with this. And I didn't take the complaint further, even though I could, because I was just so like you people are never like I am going to just end up on the shit end of this. More stick. damage than you were. More going damage into going into it. I'm going to have to keep repeating this story. I'm going to be repeatedly dehumanized. So I'm just going to, you know, process with my girlies and move on because these institutions were never set up. Like, what am I going to do? Like, get some kind of comfort from them? No, please. Right. So, And that reminds me of what you and we've said on before. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to create the comfort, the safety, the home mm. yourself or find the ways where you can find healing because these institutions were literally made to do the opposite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We think about look this up. If you know, we have to do an episode on this. Mm. But the roots of all these institutions in slavery, in literally I've been doing so much studying on this end, yeah. but the creation of racial categories that are deeply rooted in scientific racism that was first validated at these institutions yeah. of knowledge. And now they often are trying to kind of play it so that racism is just a feeling. Mm -hmm. And if you actually look back to the evidence that, for example, the Royal African Company or all these different institutions recorded themselves, mm. the proof if you want to call it proof, mm -hmm. the evidence mm -hmm. is there. Absolutely. Yet there's this sort of historical amnesia yes. for these institutions who are still benefiting from these histories, where for the people of color, especially black people that are in these spaces, feel so much like deja vu. Yeah. It's like living through history over and over again. Yes. And these, these staged encounters that... You did not deserve any of that on a random Tuesday. I'm sure it was just any day. It was l quite literally a random Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. <laughs> really? It actually was. Yeah. Well, and it's a Tuesday today. Listen. So look yes. at us. So healing together. It, it is healing. Like they, throat chakra. I know. Testimony. I know. I'm like, wow. 
I, a lot of emotion is being brought up yeah. in this moment. But like, also, I'm like, how funny. Right. We like, got to life laugh is so comical because it doesn't matter how much you study this, how much you commit your life to thinking about these things, to naming all of these things. It doesn't even matter how credentialed you get because guess what? There is always going to be effing Jerry who is going to be like you and all your foo foo feelings over there. Like there will always be a Jerry. It doesn't matter how how many things you sort. Like it doesn't matter. There is always going to be a Jerry to be like, hmm, that's cute, girl. That was the perfect way. Here's what I thought you were saying. And then I realized in the end you did Mm. that for us, our heart space and like our emotions are so deeply tied to our intellectual commitments. Like we've already said. Yes. From the jump. We're not coming here to like explore. Yeah, we are exploring our intellectual interests. Yeah. My name. But like. I'm really trying to get in touch with ancestors, learn the truth, know what really happened in a way that Jerry can come in and be like, intellectually, you're not engaging the way I want to talk about these things. Because Jerry doesn't believe he has any emotional accountability or investment in these histories. The biggest, something that still just absolutely baffles me about academia and spaces is that people think that they can live a life of the mind that is devoid of emotionalism. Right. How? That's not what we're doing here. That's not what we're doing here. Anyway, so I can think of no better big idea to think through the inevitability of encountering weirdos when you're a part of capitalist institutions than Sarah Ahmed's complaint. Heck yeah. Yes. So we are moving into the TLDR, and this stands for Too Long Didn't Read. And this is the part of the segment where we do the reading and research so you don't have to. But as always, you really should. Yes. And you can find the reading in our show notes, including the introduction of Complaint by Sarah Ahmed, Mm -hmm. which is free and open access. Yeah. So Iman, who is Sarah Ahmed? Yes. Okay. So Sarah Ahmed is a British-Australian writer and scholar whose areas of study and expertise include feminist studies and critical race theory. Ahmed is an academic and independent scholar who actually left like the university system, which I mentioned because that has a lot to do with how she came to her book project, Complaint, published by Duke University Press in 2021. Actually, it was her participation in a university complaint process that caused her to resign from her own home institution at the time in 2016. And so I feel like a lot of a lot of people, you know, I feel like with all of these ideas, it's like you've encountered these people, even in these thinkers and these theorists, even though maybe you don't know that you have. So like if you've ever heard of the idea of like, oh, a feminist killjoy, like that is by Sarah Ahmed, like that's her work Mm -hmm. and her theorizing. So you've probably encountered her even before this, but she's got this amazing new book called Complaint. And I think connected to what we were just talking about. Sarah Ahmed is directly bringing the personal and the political, Mm -hmm. the emotional and the intellectual together Mm -hmm. in her work. Mm -hmm. So much so that she's insisting that the two are not separate. Yes. That those two realms aren't. Yes. And you can see that through her field work. So she worked with students, administrators and faculty who have all formally engaged in a complaint process at their universities and colleges. And she provides us with this really incredible metaphor for what the complaint process is. It's basically a door. 
And for some people, it's very narrow and hard to walk through. Mm -hmm. Some people, unfortunately, like you, Iman, who Mm -hmm. were met with a closed door from the jump. Yeah. Or one that was on its way closed. Yeah. Reminds me of a half-baked thought. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for others, the same door is a breeze to walk through. It's Mm. being held open for them. Yeah. What a good metaphor. Absolutely. Often being held open by someone who they're not thanking. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I added that last part. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. That's so funny. One of my good friends, Sama, from Canada, she always talks about how nobody says you're welcome after thank you here in the States, which is true. Like, after somebody tells me thank you, I don't say you're welcome. But anyways, all that to say is hmm. complaint. And really what Ahmed is talking about is she's talking about, like, people who enter formal complaint processes. So, like, that moment when I went to somebody higher than me above you know, when I went to this director or whatever to issue my complaint and she's trying to capture all of the things that you need to know about not just what it takes to level that complaint, that's it too, but everything that like creates the door and like why that door is smaller for some and like you said, easy to walk through for others. So Ahmed thinks about complaint like this. So she thinks about complaint as a form of knowledge, that when we complain, we start to learn things. And so remember when we talked about Black Feminist Thought and the Combahee River Collective and their statement, right, they're talking about experience as knowledge. And, you know, Patricia Hill Collins is then going to also come in and like really put language around that. And so Ahmed is like one of those experiences, right, like this idea of issuing a complaint at the level of the institution also becomes a form of knowledge. And so she says that complaint teaches us something that we didn't know before, that when you're involved in a complaint, you come to hear about earlier complaints and you come to hear about what you did not know about. So like, for example, like when you complain about something to a coworker and and another student, and then all of a sudden you realize that you're not the only one who's been feeling this way or having this experience, all of a sudden you realize that you've entered what one would call a whisper network where you're suddenly learning so much about something you thought was just individual and about you. Mm. And now I think to myself, had I went to maybe another student, but there was no one to go to, there was no one I felt safe enough on a peer level to go to and complain about this. But I think had I interacted with other people that he had interacted with, there's no way I would have not found out that this is a long process, right? Because when somebody like finally actually issues a complaint to the powers that be, there's almost always a thousand other complaints behind them that didn't get Mm. reported or notified as such. So she's saying that power is not simply what complaints are about, but power is what shapes what happens when you complain. And, you know, one of the most iconic lines, so to complain about an abuse of power is to learn about power. So like by me issuing this level complaint about to the director, I learned like, oh, wow, actually the institution is able to look past these things by actually not having formal systems in place in order to recognize them. Huh. I'm learning something about how power works at the level of the university. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And another history tidbit, as I always interject. You just reminded me about something I read this week about even before the 17th century, whereas the Spanish and Portuguese empires had, you know, more laws about slavery in the UK or the English empire, they did not necessarily have the laws until they took these laws from livestock 
mm-hmm. common law about black people. Mm-hmm. And it's very convenient when we think about, oh, the legal precedent does not exist. Mm-hmm. Therefore, racism doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. No, actually, we can understand the codification of law as solidification of those ideologies that were already in place or evolving at that time. Mm -hmm. So I think about universities being a part of this history, Mm -hmm. even though they don't have these institutionalized, legalized ways Mm -hmm. for complaint, Mm -hmm. that does not mean that racism doesn't exist. That means that there is not necessarily a network to recognize, and conveniently so, so much so that you would walk into that closed door because it was structurally built that way. Yes. And that is at the root of structural racism. And if we think back to the Kombahi River Collective, they said that exact thing. When they went to go, and if we think about it in another structure or institution, like the hospital, Mm -hmm. when black women became, if we think about it in like this very physical metaphor, a complaint, to complain about their pain, Mm -hmm. they were turned away and the door was closed so that they had to form these alternative whisper networks or these ways of knowing that are more underground. Yeah. So very much connected to everything we've been learning about, for sure. And this leads exactly to Sarah Ahmed's point about the importance of using a feminist ear when we listen for complaints. Mm. You're not necessarily listening for evidence. You don't want necessarily like this objective, neutralized gaze that's like, tell me exactly what happened for me to see if I should believe you or not. No. To hear complaints, you have to dismantle the barriers that stop us from hearing complaints. And by barriers, we're referring to these institutional barriers, the walls, the doors, that render much of what is said about complaints as invisible and inaudible. So like we are saying, on an institutional and historical basis, complaint is seen as this very inaudible or invisibilized thing. Mm-hmm. So we need to lend that ear to be like, now I understand what's really happening behind the scenes. Because mm-hmm. complaint is testimony. Exactly, exactly. And something, too, that what you said brings up for me is like Ahmed says, like hearing complaints can also be how you learn about how complaints are not heard. And exactly what you're saying is like we try to think about in order for your complaint really to be heard like you need to have specific evidence about it and it's like but when we don't view lived experience and people's testimonies of their own lived experience as evidence we will almost always never hear what they're actually saying in their complaints like Mm. it's like we need a statistic behind it in order to hear it and it's like guess what that is white supremacy and i didn't say that audrey laureate said that Patricia Hill Collins said that. It is. Karen Fields and Barbara Fields called it racecraft. Yes. Look it up. Yes. That would take a whole episode. We should do an episode on that, though. Yes. Um, So, right, so Ahmed talks about complaint as testimony, that when you complain, you're testifying to your experience about something. And to issue a complaint... It's a testimony. It's to speak truth to power in many ways. Yeah, and it's almost always to testify to a traumatic experience. Mm. So like when we think about a court testimony, but it's also then a means of exposing yourself to another set of experiences, to the process of actually filing the complaint. So like, yes, you're on the receiving end of, you know, Jerry calling you out your name, but now you have to then go through the other experience of then trying to explain why Jerry calling you X, Y, and Z name was bad. Which is more trauma. It shouldn't have happened. More trauma. 
And so for Ahmed's interlocutors, they're both testifying to that experience of trauma, but also the experience of registering that complaint, which she calls double testimony. And I think that's like such a fitting, like to think about every single time that like you have to try to get these institutions to see you and to like acknowledge you. You're going through a double testimony. You have to like both testify to like what you're experiencing and then you have to testify to the institution and it's like, who is going to hear you? And so Ahmed talks about, and I think this is like such a amazing way to put it, that when you become a witness to someone else's complaint, like you become a part of their testimony. And like really what it means to like hold on, like really hold space for somebody in that moment. Like think about how powerful it would have been, even if that director hadn't known what to do, had she just been like, oh my God, I'm so, had she just held space for me in that moment, but you know who she wanted to hold space for? Jerry. Jerry. (laughs) Because it was poor Jerry. Can you believe she looked me in the eye and she said, poor Jerry, I just feel so bad for him. I would have lost I would have lost, I should, I did, I did, I did lose it. I and cried. you deserved love. And I'm going to get to my half-baked thought about that. You deserved, like, all the comfort, love, and safety in that moment and affirmation of being and the validation of your feelings. Thank you. And I hope you're receiving that today because... Of course. Thank you, boo. <laughs> it's truly ridiculous that he could even... He could be seen as the victim, but that's what we're trying to hit home is that as a function of racism in itself. And like that is the function of complaining. Can you imagine, like, isn't it crazy that when you complain about somebody who's like higher up on you than the totem pole, the system is designed to view them as the victim? Exactly. Just it's absurd. These places make no sense. So she actually talks about through all of her interviews, what she learned is that When you complain or become the complainer, for example, you're cast as being unreasonable, Mm -hmm. inappropriate. Mm -hmm. One thing I always hear is you're irrational. You don't know what you're saying. You're not making sense. Yes. You're being too emotional. Exactly. And people in power who are actually wronging her interviewees are the ones that are making these character judgments after the fact that they complain Mm -hmm. about them. So Mm -hmm. it's more like... Their way of trying to deflect mm-hmm. guilt in that way. Yeah. yeah. So I really love this quote that she says, mm. Complaint seems to catch how those who challenge power become sites of negation. Mm. To complain is to become a container of negative effect. A leaky container spilling out as spilling over. So mm. speaking out as spilling over. Yes. And I, I just love that idea of like, as soon as you open your mouth to complain, you become this leaky container, you become excessive. And like, that's another thing. Again, I've like been in this exam brain mode, but it's like, we have to realize like institutions uphold themselves and like keep themselves well and alive by like regulating what they deem as excessive. So as soon as you become a complainer, you're seen as excessive, you're seen as this leaky container. And so something that I love too about that is that, and what this idea of complaint can even capture is like, Sometimes you might not even think that you're making a complaint, but you are seen as a complainer. Mm-hmm. Anytime I feel like a black woman opens her mouth to say anything about what it is, like just to you know provide some feedback, some constructive feedback, whatever, you're automatically seen as a complainer. Mm. Even yeah. in like those everyday moments at a restaurant mm-hmm. or like if we think about representations in movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The character, this is like a very flawed character yeah. played by a black man, Tyler yeah. Perry. But Medea is like the biggest stereotype of 
an angry black woman yeah. who is going to speak her mind and complain. Yes. But when we think about those caricatures and the ways that those come to stand in for the real lives of black women, like, yeah. like us who have these testimonies of complaining, mm-hmm. what gets lost in that process? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So... Thank you so much. Wow, I'm like, I feel like I actually had a bit of like a a therapeutic session. Yeah. Talking about this past experience with you, my love, Kohar, with the amazing (laughs) words that Sarah Ahmed, the language that Sarah Ahmed has given us to name these feelings and these experiences, even when institutions want to do everything in order for us to not have the language too. So thank you, Sarah Ahmed, for giving us language to see how complaining is not whining or saying you don't like something or that you aren't satisfied. It's really not about necessarily the individual. It's actually a way of speaking about to and against larger systems of power that you're not supposed to see, you're not supposed to hear, and you're not supposed to complain about. So So complain away. Yes. And I hope you can use the space to give your own self space about your testimonies of complaint mm-hmm. and all those times you just needed a listening ear and we're here to validate you. Absolutely. And do you want to know what to thank you to all of you? Because I'm just like all of you guys practice that feminist ear when you listen to us yes. and or, you know, so I we I'm love you. Love you so much. I love you. That's right. I'm talking to you. Yes, viewer. You. <laughs> Listener. <laughs> viewer come season two. We got a lot of things on the works. Yes. yes. Catch us on YouTube. <laughs> yes. We're going to become YouTube girlies. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. So this is switching gears into our favorite segment of the show, at least mine. Yes. Half-baked thoughts. So this is the part where we get into thoughts that are not fully fleshed out, yet we stand fully behind. Yes. So, Kohar, what's your half-baked thought? My half-baked thought is the title of this episode. Don't be a Karen, be a Kohar. (laughs) (laughs) And on that same note, I keep thinking how bad Armenian men named Garen have it because that name is spelled K-A-R-E-N. It's so funny. So when they enter this country, being named even outside of it, say being born in Armenia and then come here, everyone thinks their name is Karen. Hilarious. And that name is now, I will say, we've done a good job at naming the violence of Karen, so much so that a Karen is no longer like this complainer that's not being held accountable. Yes. But in many ways, Karen represents exactly what we're talking about. Yes. Having a door wide open to the police to call. <laughs> right. Exactly. At a dog park, exactly. et cetera. At a Victoria's Secret. I'm naming real cases here. So yes. don't be a Karen. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but like on the spectrum of Karen no, to Kohar. First off, absolutely be a Kohar. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I 100% support that. Period. All right. Iman, what is your half big thought? Well, you know, I have a lot I have a lot coming up after this episode, but I would say that my half-baked thought is that there's actually nothing more dehumanizing than when like someone strong black woman's me. Like somebody recently asked me like, "Oh, what's something that people don't often guess about you when they first meet you?" And I was like, "Well, you know what? I think I don't know, by virtue of being somebody who like thinks out loud and like talks about these things, That people think I'm not an emotional, like sensitive person and that I can just like brush off anything and everything. And there's nothing more dehumanizing, I feel like, than denying somebody like emotional capacity and like feelings and whatnot. Because, you know, I'm sensitive. 
I am, <laughs> Kohar knows, I be sensitive. I cry. And we all are sensitive We're all souls. sensitive souls. Yes. Uh, it's yes. healthy. We're, we are yeah. unlearning all this, and we are bringing the love and light yes. back to academic spaces and beyond, to yes. your ears. Yes. And, like, you know, you just don't be out here dehumanizing people by thinking that people are just devoid of feeling. Or strong without their consent. I feel like if you're, like, you're resilient and no one asks for it, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Like, maybe I am resilient, but that's for me to know, <laughs> not for you to count on. Right. Period. Yes. Period. I love that. Oh, my gosh. So on that note, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Name It Season 1. <laughs> we have so many. I mean, we are like truly just plotting like world domination for season two. We have so many exciting things happening and coming out and we will be keeping you guys so updated. And of course, you can find us on social media at Name It Pod and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review this episode. Every episode we've done this season. Tell us what you like, what you want to hear more of, or comment a big idea you guys want us to take on for season two because we yes. are getting our Rasta together. And you can catch, of course, all the articles we referenced and additional resources in our show notes. We're going to have, even though the season is, you know, we're going to be in between seasons, we have so much stuff coming out on social media in relation to everything that we have been doing this season. So you want to follow us on Instagram to yes. get those updates and share with a friend. The show goes on. This global party goes on from Mexico to Hong Kong. I can't even Puerto tell Rico. I can't even tell you Kohar wanted to open it with this. And I told her, I said, do not get on here listing countries. To Egypt. No, I'm like, seriously. To freedom. To freedom. <laughs> I'm so honored by the amount of regular listeners that are tuning in from worldwide. So all I want to say is thank you. Shnoragalem. <laughs> Let me. Gracias. God, Let me think of what going. else I know. Danke. <laughs> Every language I'm speaking, they out here listening. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, yes. We love you so much. Yes. And last but not least, thank you to the Porview Center for Teaching and Learning and the Public Humanities at Gale for providing these resources that help make this conversation possible. We are truly, the gratitude is pouring out of us because we're so thankful. So, so catch you next season. Catch you next season. Love you guys. Bye. 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 Bye.